media around the world and thank you for joining us once again on truth to you.org that's truth number two letter you.org it's season two of torah pills i'm john and joining me in the virtual truth to you studio all the way from indonesia is the author of let's get biblical why doesn't judaism accept the christian messiah volumes one and two you can get a copy from his website outreachjudaism.org that's outreachjudaism.org welcome back to the program, Rabbi Tobias Singer. Hey, great to be back. Great to have you. Now, I, I have to tell the listeners, of course, last week we told them that we we had you in the studio. We just tied you up and gagged you just uh, for something different right. to do. And that, no, and then I and in turn gagged Jason for this week as a revenge. Now we've gagged Jason for this week. <laughs> that's all. That's, that's, I sent a message. Don't mess with me. If you mess with me. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so Jason is hogtied right now. Anyway, he is. <laughs> <laughs> he's poor, poor guy. He's not feeling. Now, last week I had a I had a cold. This week Jason's not feeling well. Last week you were on a mountain of gold. Very very quickly, just fill the listeners in. What were you doing on a mountain of gold? Well, I was in. I went to Papua to teach Torah. And there were a lot, a lot of uh, Christians there, and all of them either are or were Christians who wanted to study Torah, and they wanted to study Torah. Uh, in many parts of Indonesia's largest island, famous Papua. Now, in Papua, as part of it, there's a, a area called Freeport, which is the a mountain of gold, and it's actually a mountain ridge of gold. And I know you're going a mountain of gold, but quite literally, I'll put up pictures of it. The the, um, the there's more gold on this mountain than there is in more constant higher concentrated gold than any place in the world highest quality and the miners wanted to study Torah and they wanted to bless the Jewish people and they wanted to study on the mountaintop and we went there and it's unbelievable it's uh, we were about I don't know we were 5,000 5,000 meters meters above above sea level it was, it was right on the equator you were where you were there but you were wearing a jacket yeah, it was cold it's, it, I'm not I, I don't, it cold it was cool it was cool it was I mean you don't expect that on the equator you expect humidity and heat yeah, yeah but not at 15,000 feet uh, no, not at 15,000 it actually was I can't, I'm not going to use the word difficult to breathe but you're kind of breathing heavy you're, you're kind of if you walk you're panting if you mm, stand because the oxygen is thinner yeah right? the air is thinner you feel, yeah, yeah, yeah and it's but I will say this, if you look down at the ground, just see a stone, and I will sh- put a picture, I just haven't had time, you'll see stones of gold mixed in with ore, and all they're doing is is uh, pulling billions of dollars of gold out of there, but the miners came together, and we studied Torah together, and then we went to another city in Papua in to study more Torah. There were many Messianics who attended. Uh, many of them repented. It was just unbelievable. I mean, it's wow. it's hard to even describe what happened. I, I can't, I don't even have words for it. It's exciting. It's exciting what's happening over there on the equator. And just tell me seriously, just between you and I, did you leave with your pocket full of rocks? Uh, and, uh, if they, <laughs> if, I was told that if they, first of all, there's like a lot, a lot of security. It is, I mean, I know now it's hard to listen to. I would have trouble believing this. If you look down the ground, you see gold. If you look at the water, there's a lot of water running there. You see water filled with gold. I mean, it's gold all over. So you're, there's secure a little bit. I wouldn't take one. But if you do, you get into yourself in a lot, I guess, in a lot of considerable 
amount of trouble. It's gold. I mean, you could pick up. I was told, for instance, that one rock that with that is not like one sizable stone, like the size of your fist, that had the gold wasn't removed from it. But you could see the glistening gold is probably mm. it's worth about you know a thousand dollars. Wow. Yes. I mean, and you just you're walking on gold. Now, that's that I was very clear. I asked, like, what is this stone worth? And I held up a stone the size of, let's say, a a, a baseball, and mm-hmm. they explained to me that that stone. What was it? Uh, it's because it's not the ore hasn't been removed. The gold hasn't is pure. Mm-hmm. But that thing alone, uh, if you walked into a place. You, it, they would pay you about a thousand dollars just for that That's thing. Yeah, you see the gold. I know it's hard to believe. I'll put up pictures, but it's it's not an old place, and the and it's also the most purified gold, and just gold all over. You're walking on gold. There's nothing else to say. Uh, I don't know what else to tell you. Uh, <laughs> you're on a mountain of gold. So that's where you were gold. last week. I mean, look at going to put pictures free, up on the free, on the Facebook. Report Indonesia. It's the highest gold. It's not only the most gold, but it's the purest gold in the whole world. And the whole mountain is gold. And there's whole craters which I photographed. I didn't have time to even put it up. That there was a mountain once there. They started digging there going back many decades ago. And instead of a mountain, there are now craters that are maybe one and a half kilometers deep and three kilometers across. So where there were mountains are now craters that are kilometers deep. I mean, they dug out whole mountains. Much of the gold that you have or that that the listeners may have came from these mountains, but they literally removed entire mountains. I mean, I don't know. And it looks like the only memory I have overlooking a crater that you know is like looking at the Grand Canyon. I mean, it's it's mm. kilometers across from one into Grand Canyon is bigger, but it's it's still it's just it's mind blowing. That's all I could say. Mm. I haven't yet wow. come up with the words, and my vocabulary is not extensive enough to uh, secure the the best um, adjectives to describe what what perhaps, my eyes saw. Perhaps we can say that it's a land flowing with gold. We're going to go from a land flowing with gold to a land flowing with milk and honey, and that's the way that our tour portion begins uh we're in shalach which begins in numbers chapter 13 and it says the lord spoke to moses saying send men to spy out the land of canaan which i'm giving uh, to the children of israel from each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man everyone a leader among them and what follows so, uh, yep. uh, let me let me so let me over here because this is very important uh, mm-hmm. This is, I know we've, I've said this a lot, so I know my credibility is going down the drop in that I've so, sometimes often said to the listeners, this is one of the most difficult portions to understand in the Bible, and I'm saying it again, but I think I've proven in the past that when I've said that, in fact, I had good reason to say it. So understand that the text says shlach l'cha anoshim, and we have a parallel text in Deuteronomy, in the beginning of Deuteronomy, mm-hmm. and there appears to be a difference. There is a difference between the two, and we can see it in the word. The word is shlach l'cha, which means God says, "Take." That means send for yourself. Now we have the key point is if you superficially read the beginning of Deuteronomy versus here in Numbers chapter thirteen, it mm-hmm. appears superficially that here God is giving the command for the Jews to send in spies, whereas when we look at Deuteronomy, it appears again superficially, just a perfunctory, just 
first glance that it's the people that are demanding to have spies sent into the land. It's a very mm-hmm. clear difference. The word l'cha, send for yourself, means if you need it, go send it. That, is an, that word l'cha is, 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 is an extra term. It's completely vestigial, but it isn't. Of course, as we know, there's no extra word. What's happening here is like, why would the Jews need spies? What do you mean spies? God just split the sea. There were 10 plagues. They received the Torah of Mount Sinai. Like, why do you need spies? I mean, I understand why, you know, Israel, whatever countries, Australia needs spies to make sure ISIS doesn't infiltrate the country. Mm. But why do they, what's going on here? So what, what's happening is the people are in a in an environment where everything is taken care of from them. You know, the I've said this in it, when I'm teaching history and teaching the prophets. The greatest difficulty I have in conveying what happened thousands of years ago is it's hard to remove yourself from the world we're in and mm. put us all. They're living in basically in the Garden of Eden. Their clothing never wore out, never became dirty. Their food fell from the, from the came out of the mm. sky. They were living a completely miraculous existence. A cloud hovered over them, protected them mm. by day. Uh, as pal- they were, Fire but night, they yeah. knew this would all come to an end when they entered the land. This they knew this was a temporary experience that they would be going back to r- r- the real world experience when they entered the land. Now, at this stage, before the sin of the spies, the, the going into the land of Israel was going to be imminent. It will be prolonged, as we will see later, because of an incredible. So the people are going, wait, we're going into a land where all this uh, heavenly experience is going to end and we're going to have to actually dig and and fight wars and the clouds are, well, you know, we want to send spies. God gives permission to Moses that, look, okay, if they want spies, you can send the spies, which means send for yourselves. That means if you want it, you can do it. Mm-hmm. Our sages tell us what was Moses thinking. Moses should have perhaps scolded them. What do you need spies for? Moses should have admonished the people. You know, one might think, like, why would Moses not just say, what do you mean spies? So what happens is our sages tell us that Moses' thinking was the following. And that is, if Moses says, sure, you want spies, you can go anywhere you want, traverse the whole land of Israel, let's set it all up. They would go, well, if you're that confident, then I guess we don't have anything to worry about. And they give a, a parable, our sages, of a man who wants to buy a donkey. So he goes to the person selling the donkey and he says, look, I... I, I, I before I buy this donkey, I just want to make sure it's healthy and it can I give it a test drive. So the owner of the donkey, the person, the seller says, not only can you test drive, this is what you could do. Take this donkey, go to the highest mountain you want, go to the lowest valley you want, do whatever you want, just to make sure. So when, when the buyer, the potential buyer, sees that the seller is so confident, he'll say, you know what, forget about it. Let's, it's obvious that mm-hmm. this is a healthy donkey. So this is, what, this is what's happening here. The people... Again, we need two texts, which, and we haven't come to Deuteronomy yet. We will, but it's now important to explain really the fuller picture because these two texts are each supplying different information 
It's a harmony, and therefore we, we're, we're going to assemble it now, although we're going to count it. Shalach l'cha, that means God is saying, sure, if they want it, go right ahead. Go right, go into the land. And then uh, now we're going to come to uh, the great conundrum, of course, we're familiar with this, the 12 spies. How could they have made this error? What possibly would possess them? And we're going to see what happened then and how it applies to the time we're living in today. Now, before, before we get to that, there's just a couple of things I want to ask about this list of men who were chosen. People can read the list, the names there of those who were chosen to go. An interesting thing in this uh, list of names is in verse 8, we have Hoshea, the son of Nun. Now, a little bit further back in uh, Numbers chapter 11, verse 28, it says, So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men. Now, over here, only only uh, uh, a chapter or so later, it refers to him as Hoshea, the son of Nun. Uh, explanation, Toby. Yeah, the, the Bible tells us that, in fact, uh, that Moses called, uh, actually renamed uh, Hoshea, that was his original name, added mm-hmm. the Yud to his name, making his name Yehoshua. You'll see that a little bit later on in verse 16. Uh, so the difference, the difference in, the, uh, in the meaning of the name? Oh, yeah. Once the, what he's doing is he's adding a special blessing to Yehoshua. It was a very, very important to Moses that uh, Joshua remained strong. Joshua was, there were a few qualities about Joshua that were very critical that he should remain, that means he is going to ad- and bless and admonish all 12 representatives who are going to spy out the land to be strong. And we're going to see that in a moment. And of course, they are going to be, they are going to be weak. And these were great men who are, are weakened. And it always, I always used to wonder, how did Ariel Sharon make the mistakes he made about Gaza mm-hmm. and so on? And it's always surprising when great people at some stage just completely collapse. For Yehoshua, there was a lot at stake. Yehoshua was a person who was enormously humble. And Yehoshua was a person, he was afraid that uh, would it could be vulnerable. There was a, a question about Yehoshua, that Yehoshua was the primary disciple of Moses, as such, it would have reflected terribly if if Joshua didn't have that enormous strength to him. So, and Joshua, of course, had already demonstrated uh, the the great his greatness, and therefore the yud is the letter that represents the name of God. God's mm-hmm. name, in fact, begins with this letter, and therefore we have Yehoshua, which means God saves, mm-hmm. and therefore we have the, the, the of course the significance of this is that Hash- Moses is giving him a very an extra blessing because if Joshua, who was uh, the primary disciple of Moses, if he he would have failed, it would have reflected on Moses. And not that Moses cared about himself, but he knew, remember, Moses understood how important he was to the people, and he didn't like mm. it. Now, I want to just take you, you ha- we have to walk this back a little bit. Moses sure. did not like the idea that the people felt so much reliance on Moses as a in intermediary, and we see that very explicitly mm. 
in when the Ten Commandments are given, and at the end we come to verse eighteen of Exodus twenty, the people turn to Moses and say, "Look, we heard enough." I mean, they knew God was speaking. They knew Moses. They knew it. And for, they knew it. So they said, "Look, we know you tell us." And Moses really looks at them, and again, there's nothing vestigial in the Torah. And Moses turned back and says, "Why are you worried? Why are you concerned?" But Moses acquiesces. So, but so, but Moses also makes a, a mental note, and he. And we're going to see that the golden calf were very explicitly, graphically told that the people of Israel had thought that Moses was supposed to be on the mountain 40 days. It just, he got delayed by one day because of a miscalculation. They were not, he he meant he'd, he'd be on the mountain for 40 days. They thought from the moment he left. That tells us how the people became so reliant on Moses, and Moses therefore recognized the immense responsibility he had, and Joshua, who was his was the person closest to him, mm. that this could in, in some way create a stumbling block. It would have been a much greater problem if Joshua would not come out. So therefore, great blessings were given to Joshua. Moses recognized at this point how critical he was and how critical Joshua was to the people and how he would, they would look to, to them. Now, unfortunately, they were about to incur, but that's why a special blessings are given to Joshua. And added to the beginning of his name. Oh, yeah. So that's, um, that's verse 16. And Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. And there it is. Then Moses sent them out to spy the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go into the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak or few or many or whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, or whether their cities are inhabited, they inhabit are, are strong. How fortified, not forty. Mm. Moses is exhibiting no fear or concern to the people. Go ahead, look, look at how high, how this, how that. Do what you want, you know, and, and, and you know, and fine. Hoping that they would, they actually went forth, and we're going to see what goes wrong because, in reality, the people aren't going to tell the truth in the sense that they're going to report what they saw. That wasn't the sin. The sin is something horrendous, a mistake that they make. That till this day, the Jewish people who are living a miraculous existence in the middle of the most dangerous place in the world still make to this day. And they return from spying out the land. So they, they come back with this incredible um, uh, fruit. And they say, look, you know, I mean, this this place, it's uh, uh, it's fruit. It's truly the, the land flowing with milk and honey. Yeah, so up to and, here, the, the people are talking fine. I mean, in their first, essentially, two sentences, it's all fine. Yeah, it's beautiful. But then disaster hits in their report. Yeah. And, and, and it should be said also... Well, anyways, if you notice that they came back after 40 days, and that 40 is going to come for a number, when they came back with a, and 10 out of 12 of them, I know I'm always getting ahead. If you notice, I just point to it. They didn't, like, if there's trouble, let's say I was working for you and a lot of other people, and I saw there was a problem, I, I say to you, Jono, you know, can I talk to you privately for a moment? Because I, I'm anticipating there's a problem. But this, when they came back, you notice what they did. They grabbed the whole assembly. That I means it says, look at the text. It says they went to Moses and Aaron, 
and the whole assembly, knowing what they're about to report, they didn't pull Moses and Aaron aside. They wanted to be an, a, this to be a spectacle, which it was, and it shattered the people. You're going to see what they're going to say, but that alone, we're seeing, they, when they came back, they were in the wrong place. You're going to see what possibly could have happened to them with the, with the orientation, the spiritual orientation, could have been so off. And I know you, the listener, saying, if I had been there, I would have never have fallen to mm. this trap. But in fact, people all the time are falling into the trap when people wonder, oh, you know why we can't give away Judea and Samaria? Because the state of Israel would only be nine miles wide. You know why we win the war? Because of this. Oh, we don't want Egypt. We don't want the Europeans to boycott Israel. We're, they have, we need the, all the land because without it, you know, we wouldn't be able to, it's indefensible. That is not the way a, a, a faithful people speak. A people of faith say this land was given to us by God and it belongs to the Jewish people, period. I remember when I was in in the Gaza Strip during 2005, prior to its destruction, the Jews there were very holy. I mean, they were on a very spiritually high level. None of them said that we should remain in Gaza because we need it, because then the terrorists will take it over. They didn't talk that way. They were on such a high level. They said, this is a land part of the tribe of Judah, which Gaza is, and Mm. it's it's forbidden to give this away because this is God's land period. But mm-hmm. this is the danger we have today. Oh, what will the nation say? Oh, Obama's going to get angry. We don't want to anger the president of the United States. So what happens is we start to look to what are the other people going to say. The effect still goes on today. To this day, people talk this way. Anyways, let's... Mm. Uh, so, so it says in verse 28, Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land, so they're still giving the report, the people who dwell on the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak. Serbia. Yeah, Anak is a family. Family, a very powerful family of giants. Uh, we don't know what giants means. It means that they're, you know, these are these are big tough guys. You know, these are, these are. Uh, it, as it turns out, in Papua, there are many tribes that are actually pygmies. To this day, they're men of oh, three feet tall. So that's an, a genetic anomaly. Here, you had a family. The family of Anak will come up a number of times in the Bible. These are very powerful, strong people. I mean, these were not. Uh, you take the Jebusites. We're going to, and those of you will be joining us on the tour. The the Yevusim, the Jebusites, controlled Jerusalem, and they were powerful people. <laughs> I mean, the way uh, you're going to see the tunnel of how how David was able to liberate through his general uh, Jerusalem. These were powerful people, and were were not afraid of anybody. In fact, what you're going to see in a moment here, the text says here that this land is such that it actually people die. The land eats up the people. Well, this is what I've got now. This is another thing I wanted to ask you because uh, it, Caleb. He, he jumps in here and he says, look, hey, you guys, you know, shut up. It's, let me talk. Yeah. Uh, let, let us go up at once and take, take it as our possession. For, we're, we're able to overcome it. But the men who had gone with him said they were quick to respond. They said, we're not able. Come on. We're not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they, and they gave uh, the children of Israel bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that, and now what I've got in the New King James, it says, a land that devours its inhabitants. Yeah, that's what does a that very, mean? Very, oh, what happened was Hashem actually did a miracle. And the miracle, I mean, it, it, you know, you, you watch, say, oh, it's so terrible in Israel, it's so dangerous. Why? Because it's such Hamas, Hezbollah is fighting and ISIS is all over. Well, it's actually a blessing. Hashem is making it that Al-Qaeda and Hezbollah 
and ISIS are actually killing each other. So a person can say, oh, Israel is such a dangerous place. Oh, we say, look what Hashem is doing. He is distracting all the enemies of, of Israel so that they don't bother with Israel and they're all out there killing. They're all, uh, well, that's what happened. How did 12 guys, Jews, make, were able to spy out the land, spend 40 days going all the way from one expanse part of the other land and no one noticed it? So what God did was, he made it that there were problems in the land that people were just dropping dead. There were just funerals all over the place. This is, the Talmud describes what happened. So therefore, the, the people of the land were so preoccupied with the deaths of people that they didn't pay attention to the presence of these 12 who were spying out the land. Later on, as we'll see, in fact, it's the Haftorah from this week's portion, that in fact when the, when the spies, not that many spies, only two spies sent to the land, then in fact the people of the land were not distracted by ongoing internal problems of people dying, and they were actually trying to find these spies who were coming in. So what's happening is they look at an, an anomaly and that is this is a land where just people are getting killed but actually civil unrest that, but, that results but, in uh, but loss God of was doing that God was causing the people to be dying and, and burying people so they're involved they've got problems of their own so they're not going to pay attention to the spies and that's why mm. we have no record here of the spies encountering a problem of being discovered of their identity discovered later on when two spies are going to be sent by Joshua those spies actually Actually, are discovered, and they have the whole story of Rachav. Mm-hmm. We're not going to get into, but they are because they be this miracle that there are deaths all over the place. So therefore, they've got just people are getting killed they're, they're all over. They're preoccupied with they're their preoccupied own with violence, and these were not any yep. people. You ever watch? You know, I'll tell you just a fast, quick thing. I remember years ago, I was lecturing in San Antonio, Texas, and it, there happens to be from New York to San Antonio. There's only maybe it's different today. There was only one nonstop flight that uh, on what was then Continental Airlines. And I'll never forget this. I went to gate, I don't know what it was, I'm a C-38. I don't know, I'm making up that number. I don't know what it, what it was. Mm-hmm. And I saw a human being. I never saw something like this in my life. I'm, I'm no exaggeration. The man was seven feet tall and probably weighed 400 pounds. He was a, so gigantic that I looked at him in shock. And you, you just, you know how normally if you see someone who looks different, you try to look away and not, you just couldn't. You was, I'm standing there and I'm looking at this guy and I never saw a human being this big in my so life. So big. He wow. was so big, I didn't, know what ha- I didn't know what the heck this was. And he was at the gate waiting for it. And he's with another guy who looked very familiar to me. He just looked familiar, who's all dressed in a $5,000 suit. As it turns out, I, because I, was, I fly 100,000 miles a year with Continental at the mm-hmm. time, you know, I, was, I was a platinum member, so I was upgraded routinely to first class because of my status as a frequent flyer. As it turns out, I'm seated next to the guy who's the head of the whole world wrestling thing. His name, I forget <laughs> his name, and this guy is the biggest, most famous wrestler, I don't know what. I never, if I tell you, I can't even tell you. If you look up who's the head of the whole world wrestling, it's all a scammy guy. guy. I don't know. He's like this Italian looking guy, whatever, with a great, with a, with a $5,000 hairdo. Whatever it is, I, I don't, I don't roll wrestling because I, I, I think it's stupid and it's all fake. And anyways, who cares? But I want you to know this. This happened to me one other time. You don't have any idea how big these people are. Yeah, and this, well, let me ask, let me ask you a question, Toby. Did you feel like a grind? 
cross up in front I, of this guy? It's not that. He, if I had to fight him, I'd just shoot myself in the head just to make <laughs> just get it over with. I, I never saw a thing this big in my life. I really don't know how big he was. It's not just he was tall. I've seen talls. Normally, you think of a tall guy as a, uh, as a lanky. He had a neck that's the size of my waist. I only other time this ever happened, I was in Minneapolis lecturing, and they put me up at hotels and turned out the 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 um, the Vikings were staying at that hotel, and the whole team came in. These big guys were. I mean, this. No, 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 I got to ask a question because I'm, I'm from Australia. The Vikings. What? 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 No, no. This is just the name of a football team. Football. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. So, if you ever encounter, you can't tell by looking on TV how big these football players are, how big these wrestlers, because you have you're looking at two guys who are roughly giants, but you can't really tell. If you're in their presence, and, and I'm like a full-size guy, I'm nearly six feet tall, these like are just massive with shoulder. I mean, just you really just, it takes your breath away. So this guy sat next to me with the, it means the seating was that you had, the wrestler had the window seat, whatever his name is, his name is John, whatever his name is, he was there. And then I had the next seat, just the aisles between us. So I like looked at him like, who, who are you? You look so familiar. He said, oh, I'm whatever his name is. And and I said, like, who's this gentleman sitting next to you? I was careful. I didn't know to throw me out the window. <laughs> he said, oh, he's the top wrestler in the whole world. I don't watch wrestling for Roger. I was just shocked, and I just couldn't. I mean, he had hands, one one zets from him, and that would be the end of the whole game. I mean, that's so. Not, so, is, are you are you saying like because of the following verses that say you know we we saw the giants, you know the descendants of Anuk came came from the giants, and we were we were like grasshoppers in their own sight, and so we were in their sight. So this is hyperbole. Is this what you're saying? It's rather it's rather saying these are these are huge, you know, big strong people and influential people. Um, uh, 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 men of renown, if, if you like, if I can use uh, words uh, from uh, Genesis chapter 6. I mean, is, is this what you're talking about? They weren't actually massive, massive people. Yes, but here's the key. All of our sages are staring at one thing. I mean, what, what grabs the attention of everyone is the reversal of this description. It says, it says, we were like grasshoppers in, we were like grasshoppers in our eyes, and so we were in their eyes well that's uh-huh. it should have been the other way around it should have been they took one look at us and from th- we were like grasshoppers in their eyes and therefore we felt like we were so small and uh-huh. then it's actually reversed so the th- so the text here is very telling when he that we that means what ha- the weird this problem began is their own self image that means the, the first thing they felt is they felt completely weak so the moment uh-huh. you feel weak therefore you then Im- you then impose that feeling onto, you project that feeling onto the person who's looking at you. Right. I mean, how right. would they right. know how the giants... Oh, that's a good point. Right. How well, would they know? That they, excuse me, how do we look to you? Like a cockroach <laughs> or a frog or a, or a cow or, or, or a nose or a microwave oven? Did they interview them? No. So what's happening is this is the whole frame reference. This is everything. This one passage, verse 33, this anomaly is, how do they know what they looked at my grasshoppers? I don't know what that, when I was sitting in a row 
uh, whatever is three at seat row three C on an American Airlines flight years ago. I don't know exactly what, or content. I don't know what that guy thought I looked like. Maybe you he didn't say, excuse me, do I look like I don't a know. I don't know how <laughs> man walks anywhere. But anyways, whatever it is, that means they're saying that we were, we felt like grasshoppers and then they imposed that onto the people, which means that, oh, the enemies are so great. We're, we don't have the strength. We don't have, we can never do it. We can never do it. And this is the whole disaster. That, and they, so, they, yeah. they, they injected the poison, right. didn't they? Li- they right literally there. injected right the poison. There. And, and it, it all turns. And uh, what recovery uh, Caleb tried to make of the situation uh, yeah, he's, was he's, overcome. He's overcome. This, they threw a wet blanket over it immediately. And, uh, and chapter 14 is the result. Yeah, you were and, say? And according to Jewish, this happens on the ninth day of Ove, incidentally. And God, in a sense, what happens is Moses is absolutely speechless here. I mean, he is ah. beside himself completely. I mean, after everything's going on, I mean, yeah. this is like, how are you going to ever? And this is going to end with the eyes and where we should be looking with our eyes. And I'm going to leave that for the end of the show. But he is completely beside himself. And, and, and like you can understand it. I mean, he was beside himself in the last Torah portion. I don't know how he survived this. But this is what they say. I have to read it. It says, so all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night, and, the, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we'd died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to the land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should become victims? It would have been better for us to return to Egypt. So they said to one, one another, and this just blows my mind, they said to one another, let us uh, select a leader and return to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel, but Joshua, the Joshua, uh, son of Nun, and, and Caleb, the son of Yephunah, so, uh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and spoke to the, to the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we pass through uh, to spy out is exceedingly good. And, and, and if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it right. to us, a land that, which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land. They are our bread. Right. What, I mean, so, here, 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 what is that? so what's happening here is I want to just look at a few passages and just uh, uh, take apart, disassemble a few passages I think people could read quickly. You notice how in, in classical Jewish thought, if you read some the most dangerous thing is depression. This is Saul's end. This is what destroyed him, oh, yeah. is that when we be feeling a sense of hopelessness. In fact, the 17th day of Thomas, we may have talked, I don't remember which show I talked about it, is one of the greatest fast days on the Jewish uh, calendar. In fact, if it came out on Sabbath, we would fast, and we wouldn't even for the ninth of Av, because that mm. marks a date when the walls of Jerusalem were breached. And actually the laws associated with the seventh day of Tammuz is greater than the for the ninth day of Av because once the Jerusalem's walls were breached, after fighting from 66 to 70, the Jews lost hope. Once you lose hope, and I say to each and every listener, the moment anxiety and depression starts to sink in, it, it, it begins to snowball into something that doesn't even make sense anymore. So the first thing they say is, Egypt really, if you notice, in the, let's take this first passage in verse 2. So in verse 2, the, the, the first 
the, 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 the nation says, oh, would it be that we would have, let us just died in Egypt, you know, or we just in the died in the wilderness. So here we have, what does this mean? Like, so here we have depression and despondency setting in. That's number one. So here, once you get to that level, then nothing else makes any sense. And you'll notice, you know, why does we have to be here to die by the sword? And then our young children will be taken captive. Maybe we should return to Egypt. Like, why return to Egypt just to get killed in Egypt? Like, nothing makes sense. And there's mm. it's a rolling thunder of losing complete faith mm-hmm. to the point that let us appoint a leader to take us back to Egypt to die in Egypt like so what happens this is what happens when people have a full an anxiety and depression that is inappropriate what we're going to see in a moment is when the nation realizes how much trouble they're in they have then a false confidence which grips them well all right mm-hmm. then we'll go in right away even though God said no you cannot go in that it's going to spin around and it's not a real repentance they're just they they they're, they're just going oh my god we blew this one quick let's go up and take the land mm-hmm. and and they have the full so depression in judaism is that's why david wrote the book of psalms you know many people could have written that book king david wrote the book of psalms was given the mandate to write these sacred um, the sacred, the sacred tome is spe- mm. specific because David had every reason to be depressed. You, the listener, may feel, look, you got problems in your life. Maybe you have a little challenge in your marriage. Maybe you're having trouble with the children. Trouble. With- King David had a father who wanted to kill him, a son who wanted to mm. kill him, friends who turned their back on a wife who would made him. He, he, King David had every reason to be depressed. No person had greater reason. But David said, "Worship God with joy." And even if I'm walking in the valley, I know God that you're with me. The Lord is my shepherd. And that's the key. Depression is the greatest danger. That when someone becomes despondent, their whole life unravels before them, and they cannot. Uh, they lose their barometer is lost completely. And then when people find out something else, they actually, their barometer has been so shattered that they, everything they do that falls out of depression is, brings, gets them an enormous amount of trouble. How often do you and I hear when I hear people who became, I became a Muslim or I became a Christian. Why did you become a Christian? Why did you convert? I was on drugs. I was shooting up heroin. I was vomiting on the street. Then I found Jesus. Well, yeah, if you're, you're in the lowest state, of course, that's where you're going to find yourself in the church. I have never in my life, and I, I don't even have to ask you, I have never met a, a person who who'd embraced the Jewish faith who said, you know, I was laying on the streets of of, of, the Los, of South Southeast L.A., you know, laying in my own vomit, and I found Moses. People go, you see, they never find them, right? It doesn't them. happen. No, because it's despondency and depression. I say to you, I challenge you, the listener, to think back in your life, my friends. Think back of every bad decision you've made, the ones where you wish you can turn back the clock, and you'll, you mm. probably will discover that decisions you wish you can do differently, maybe you, whatever it was, I'm not going to cause you more pain. It was not at the high point of your life. It was a moment of despondency and depression, and this is what a person completely uh, loses it and winds up mm. in complete sin because they give up. And they and they have given up. They've, they've given up very, very quickly, and uh, Caleb and Joshua try their best to, to overcome the situation. They said to them, look, they are our bread. You will tear them up. We'll eat them. It's easy. Don't worry about it. Their protection has departed from them. 
and the Lord is with us. Yeah. Do not fear them. Yeah, we'll, but we'll eat them up. Uh, we'll eat them up. Yeah. By the way, this language of be like bread, they'll eat them up. We find in Psalm 14. You know, they they eat their peoples. Though they eat our, our, my peoples of their bread. It's a misquote of Paul. I'm not going to go into. It, but yeah, they'll eat them up. Right. Not a problem. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Verse 10. And and all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Oh my goodness. Oh, yeah. And this is how this is. I suppose they, it just seems like they're crushed. They've taken the bait from the from the bad report, and that's it for them. Uh, not another. This is like the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. And this, you know, this, my friends, you know, I know you, you know, sometimes I'm not going to, I don't want to get into politics, but I know every person listening to the show is wondering, how did the prime ministers of Israel, who were once great men, actually considered giving the Golan Heights to Syria? You know, trading it for peace. And they did that after the 67 war. You know, after the 67 war, they, the leaders of uh, the generals said, let it well, except for Jerusalem, they said. And in jail, we're ready to give it all in exchange for peace. The Arabs went to Khartoum and said the famous three no's. So you want people going, Are you stupid? Like God performed a miracle in six days? You liberated the land of mm. Israel? Like, what are you, insane? You're going to give the Golan to a dictatorship, uh, to Syria? God gave it to you as a gift? Hundreds of boys lost their lives. We're going to go on our trip mm. to Israel. We're going to see the Golan. You're going to see the Golan. No matter what you think about the Golan, if you've never been to Israel and you stand at the, the Yama Kinneret, the, the, the Sea of Galilee, which is a lake, uh, so, so you know, you will be, a, the, when you see the cliffs of the Golan, you'll understand the miracle I should have. Well, what are you, stupid? And now imagine today, listen, uh, just one point, we'll move on. I want to drill some to it. Imagine if, if if the Syrian, if God didn't, if didn't, if our enemies think God, or God puts in them stupidity. Imagine if Syria had accepted the offer of Israel to give the Golan in exchange for some peace, and now the head of Syria, Bashar Assad, this 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 wicked one, is now mm. going to be destroyed. The whole Syria is coming down. What would have happened to that agreement? I mean, even you dream foolish dreamers who want to give away the land, even practically see it would have been destroyed. But we see today who was the first prime minister ever in the history of the state of israel to call judean samaria occupied territory use the word kibush was ariel sharon the great bulldozer so mm. how did great men fall and that's i just want this point i'm not gonna you know the time is limited for the show but i know it is impossible to read this event of the past and wonder Ah, how could people be that dumb? How could great, these are all the leaders of the tribes. How could they fool my friends? Look today at the leaders of Israel. Mm. Look how stupid they were at these leaders, Yitzhak Rabin and all these Shimon Peres and all these guys shaking the hands and and, and and Ehud Barak, Ehud Barak, who was a was the prime minister of Israel. Thank God he's gone. Ehud Barak is the most decorated Israeli military leader in history. The guy has killed more Arabs, they say, than anybody else. This is a guy who's like was the head of Sierra Matkal, the most elite. I didn't know that. The, oh yeah, Ehud Barak. And I remember him when he was with Arafat and Clinton. He was patting him on the back and smiling and dancing. And this idiot, this yo-yo Barak, is saying, "No, we can't have the world say things." against us. We have to negotiate. There's no peace. We have to negotiate. You know that the Mahmoud Abbas is in the 10th year of his four-year term. How does a person like Ehud Barak, who was a 
the head of Sierra Merkal. Sierra Merkal is the most elite unit. In fact, Sierra Merkal is one of the only units in Israel that's so elite. These are commandos that they're never allowed to wear their insignia. We will never see one with it because they're not allowed to even wear it. He's the head of the whole thing. This is a guy who killed so many terrorists, traveled man of guts, and yet he fell. He collapsed. So. It's, it's, this, this reminds me uh, Moshe Diane and the Temple Mount. Right. In a nutshell, can in you just give us that? Because yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm always scratching yeah, my head about that. Yeah, it was, you know, you have to understand the, the context. So here Israel goes to war against Syria and and, and Egypt. They they What happened was you had Levi Eshkol, who was the prime minister, who was a very weak man. And the, it, 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 people, they were digging graves. Anyways, Moshe Dayan was a great uh, hero, great oh, a great a general. Hero. And what happened was a few days, I think it was June 2nd, I have my sure my day. On June 2nd, 1967, I remember this as a child, Levi Eshkol actually gets on the radio in Israel. Everyone's petrified because the, 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 the gates of the, 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 the Straits of Hormuz are cut off, so no shipping is allowed. The Egyptians are saying we're throwing the Jews in the sea. Jews really were writing their wills. I mean, they thought they were dead. Levi mm-hmm. Eshkol was trying to soothe and calm the people. He's a very weak person. And he gets on the radio and he starts stammering and stuttering. It's a very famous. You can listen to the speech on YouTube. And the people start like crying. And they absolutely demand Moshe Dayan, who was the great hero, to come in. And right, and Dayan comes in. And right, and then June 5th, miracles happen. Literally in three hours, the whole Air Force of Egypt and Syria all destroyed. And Dayan says to Jordan, like an idiot, uh, don't get involved in this. This is not for you. Just says to the King Hussein, stay out of Hussein. He, he, king Hussein now has Arafat as a roommate, but at the time he was alive, he, he says, stay out. But Hussein, like Hashem, put a stupidity in Hussein's head to shoot rockets at the western, at the western part of Jerusalem, and Diana goes in and wipes them out and takes over hmm. them. And you know what he does? He hands over the keys. You know what you know, they planted after 67? As soon as 67 was over, I spoke to the guy who was the helicopter pilot. His name is Cohen. I forget his first his first name. He was a member of Knesset, nicest guy. He landed a helicopter on the Temple Mount, the first mm-hmm. Jew to ever do that. They planted, you're not going to believe, they planted an Israeli flag on the Dome of the Rock. They planted an Israeli flag on the Dome of the Rock. Because this is, that's that's the Holy of Holies. They, they show that, the, so, and you know what Dayan so said? Take it down. Well, what is take this? It down, what is this, a museum? Them. He said, what is this, some, some museum? With the, this is the holiest place on earth. And yes. right away, so I look. This bothered me. You I mean I struggled with this? Is these are the leaders of the generation? No, but was it was it for fear of the enemy that he did it that was, and said leave? Yeah, I mean, what is what are you what so are you saying? It's, it He's is begging. another example of this. Diana is begging. He says, "Call us." My phone is waiting. These are the words. My phone is waiting to ring. Just ring it. Ring it. Hashem. Thank God. It, Hashem said, look, you idiot. And he sent the Arabs, thank God, to, 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 to Sudan, and the idiots voted no recognition, no negotiations, no peace. The fan three knows. But Dayan was ready. Take it all. Go take it. He gave them the Temple Mount right away, gave it over to the WAFC, which is the the terrorist police force of the Jordanians. He gave it, and he took down the, the flag, of the Israeli flag off the Dome. And where the Arabs were shaking. The Arabs were wearing Diapers. Look, I let me tell you something. The, after '67, the Arabs were trembling from the Jews. They really were in Israel. I'm not talking about what was going on. All the 
the talk that was going on, the hyperbole, which the Arabs are well known for in Saudi Arabia and Damascus. But in Israel, the Arabs would shake when a Jew walked by. And, they, and then right away he's going, no, we'll make peace. We'll give it all back. Hashem gives a gift. I'm just saying to you, if you don't understand how it's possible, we see it with our own eyes today. Mm. How often do we have the former president state of Israel? I'm not going to tell you his name, but it reminds with, uh, uh, with Shimon Erez. Anyways, <laughs> you know, what is the world going to say? The world opinion. What is the world going to say? Mm. World opinion. The world hates you. We just had a Holocaust. We know what the world opinion is. We're not mm. interested in the world opinion. The world was against us. The world did nothing to save us. Who cares about the world? Let the world worry about our opinion instead of mm. us worrying about the world's opinion. So we see that this is not just history. This is something that repeats itself over and over again, and we're witnessing it in our lives today. In fact, you know that when, when Israeli soldiers, then we'll move on quickly, but when Israeli soldiers, when they will go into Gaza, they read from the book of Joshua, you know, how Joshua be strong and mm-hmm. of great courage. That's what they yeah. read when they go into battle. Yes. It's a total different mode. Yeah, it is. And so, unfortunately, they swallowed this false report. They swallowed the lie. The bad report, and they wanted to stone uh, Joshua and Caleb with stones, and it's the next thing that it says, now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before the children of Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me, and how long they will not believe me? All the signs which I performed among them, I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make you a nation greater and mightier. And this is exactly what he said to him when uh, the golden calf incident began. And we have a, a similar... Uh, a very uh, similar, almost parallel. I, I, yeah. I wonder, by the way, it's it, only because a few great listeners have asked the question, I hear it again and again, do Jews, what does God mean when he says, have faith that I will do these things? Here we see it, and we see it all over Tanakh, this is one of many examples. When we... What God is calling upon us is saying, look, you have seen that I've kept every promise that I have made. Therefore, based on that, you can trust and know that all the promises that I have made that I have not yet been fulfilled will be fulfilled. That's what God's saying. You see I kept every promise. What are you worried about? Hmm. You know, you've seen Jacob's trouble. We've seen the worst in the state of Israel, born out of the ashes of the Holocaust and defeats all the enemies. You've seen it all. What are you, fools? So that's what's going on over here that we've seen it now moses again is going to make the case the same case that he made at mount sinai you know when he is confronted when god he actually is not aware of what's going on down the foot of the mountain we spent a considerable amount of time uh, discussing this uh, in shows earlier but moses is really going to make the only case he can make he can't, the people are rebelling, so he can't say, you know, you know. but he, he is going to say, look, what is the word? So yeah, it's gonna, in verse 15, now, now if, yes. if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring them up out of the land and so on and so forth. He said, don't do it, please. You know, you, you, you have said that the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy and forgiving iniquity and transgression, but... Uh, he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children of the third and fourth generation was spoken about that. And it, but he, he pleads with God and he says, please, just, you know, pardon these people. Um, and, and then now this is interesting, Toby, because the Lord says, I have pardoned according to your word. Now, right. it's interesting that he says that because as we read on, uh, they, they still, they, they get punished. That means they're not killed immediately. What happens to them is they don't die, with the exception of the actual spies themselves, the ten 
Well, they they die immediately, but but aside, aside from them, Hashem does something very special. And that is, He says, "Look, you're not going to be able to go into the land. Your eyes deceive you. Your your heart just collapses. You don't have what it takes to go into the land. So I'm not going to wipe you out here. In fact, the forty years is very meaningful. The forty years, obviously, that you're going to be in the world, even though. Incidentally, this will be in the second year, so God is going retroactively counting from the first mm. year. The 40 years corresponds to the 40 days that the spies were in the land, but it also provides a, the ability for God to make sure not to kill anyone right away. Because mm. what happens is, let's say you have a person, the only people who died were people who were of at least 20 years old or older. Because in, in, I'm not going to go into Jewish law, but in fact... Even though a, a boy becomes Burmese at 13, a girl Batmitz at 12, where they have responsibility, they're not fully accountable until they turn 21. And we know mm-hmm. today that the frontal lobe doesn't really fully develop until that point. But the key point is that let's say you have a 20-year-old here who was part of this rebellion, this, this horrible rebellion. Um, so therefore, God wants this person to at least live to 60, which is... I mean, dying before 60 is considered um, curries. It's early, but it's, That's, it's not I mean, bad innings. Yeah. I don't know, but it's at least 60 is a year. Dying before 60 is considered, is uh, is obviously ominous. Mm. I mean, we mm. expect it. So therefore, if someone was 20, so just so you understand how this works here, God receded in his uh, in his acquiesced in not destroying them. So not destroy them means that a 20-year-old would have to make it to 60 years old. So therefore, these 40 years would give the person a reprieve to live a full life, but they can't enter the land of Israel. So you see, the 40-year period provides the precise window to enable people who are alive to live at least some reasonable expectation of life, which mm. would be 60 years. Anything below that is regarded an extremely short life, and the 40 years serves that purpose. So therefore, a right. person who was 20 at the time, 21 at a time, uh, would have then died at 60 before they entered the land. But they can't sure. enter the land because they just, they just, they're going to mess it up. This is also considered an act of mercy because the nation was so emotionally messed up, I mean, just emotionally depressed, mm. that if God would have, if they would have been allowed to go into the land of Israel and mess up in Israel, it would have been, they would have been in much bigger trouble. It's much greater to sin in the land of Israel and outside the land. So in the way God is saying, you know what, this is, it will be bad for you to go into the land of Israel. Mm-hmm. There, I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, sometimes we hear of somebody who who suffered, God forbid, for many years of, let's say, cystic fibrosis, a terrible, terrible disease. And they are in great suffering for months before they die. And when they when they pass away, family members say, you know, even though we he died and were very sad, but in a way he suffered so much. So in a way, we would never wish someone to be dead, but we can recognize that sometimes God causes a, a death prematurely or a little earlier so that they don't get into really, really serious hardships. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happened. The 40 years allows the people to live out their lives. So if someone was 50 years old, they could have lived 
for years and years. And therefore, the immediate death sentence is withdrawn, but they can't enter the land. And that's what, you, that's what is to be um, separated here. So that generation is to die out. And yet, uh, when we go back to verse 3 of 14, it says, uh, Why has the Lord brought us out of, uh, the, the, this land, out of the land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children, our children will become victims? Well, here... In verse uh, 31, it says, uh, God says, but your little ones, right. whom you said would be victims, right. I will bring them in. I want in, you to listen. And I want you, the listener, to listen to Jono's words right now. I will bring them in, right. and they shall know the land which you have despised. Right. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall right. in the wilderness. Now, this is critical. And you, my listeners, are in big trouble with me. I love you guys, but you always ask me the question, you know, because that means there's someone under 20 years old. That means they just, if, if you were 18 years old, you did not, you were a teenager. And yeah, you may be able to drive in America or Australia, but as far as God is concerned, you're still a child. You know, you ask me, well, is my, is my brother who's still a Christian going to go to hell? You know? And I say to you, Hashem is full of mercy. And if someone didn't have the full requisite intellectual um, uh, uh, maturity and so on, God would never hold you accountable. Someone asked me yesterday, I wouldn't say who, but I had a, a listener who asked me if someone is, suffers from bipolar, which is a terrible uh, mental disorder, uh, and they commit suicide, which ordinarily is a very serious sin. God would never hold someone accountable. And here we see it very explicitly. I get this question constantly does god hold people accountable didn't know no that's why i say to christians who study with me if you have if you are if no even even interested in hearing the truth and you want to be a christian no matter what it would be much better if you never heard me never came to study torah with me it would be better that you just never even met me because here you see that hashem says the wives and children they're not held accountable the wives were not women were not involved in this at all the children didn't have the requisite knowledge they weren't they weren't a part of this and therefore hashem doesn't hold them accountable you see it right here we're going to come in the next chapter. I'm just all drooling. We're coming in the next chapter <laughs> to a very important um, driving principle. We're going to mm-hmm. come to the next chapter. Let's continue. We're getting there. But uh, but obviously, uh, Joshua and Caleb are exempt from, from this situation. Uh, one notation. Uh, I know I'm interrupting every minute, but you pay. That's all right. You guys pay good money to listen to the show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on, the, on the date of Moses' death on Zion Odor, the seventh mm-hmm. day of another, in Israel, there's thousands and thousands of people go to Joshua's grave every year. They can't go to Moses' grave, and, Mo- and Joshua is a prophet like Moses. So, in fact, we honor Moses, and they have to actually use an army escort because the idiots gave that land to the terrorists as well. So they actually have to go in like a bunch of grasshoppers. We have to go into these areas that are occupied by Arabs. But anyways, they go to Joshua's, which is all the way to the north in part of Israel. They go to Joshua's yeah. grave. Anyways, let's... let's con- and Kolev, well, they're buried right near each other. Kolev and Joshua buried very close to each other, walking distance. Verse 39, then Moses told these words to the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. And then, Tovia, yeah. they woke up the next morning. They went, it's all right. It's all right. We're better now. Don't worry about it. They, we'll, they, uh, here it we all. are. They lost it all. That means. No, 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 no. We haven't. No, here we are. We're going to go. We'll go now. We'll go now, as, as God has promised. For you know, we, we realize now we've sinned. It's all right. We're good. And Moses said, no, it's too late. 
don't be doing that. If you go up, God won't be going with you and you'll be defeated. Uh, and, and they went, no, no, it's all right. Um, didn't blow it. I mean, you know, you know what it's like, you know, as a kid when you've, when you've been looking forward to something, you're looking right. forward to something and then, you know, you, it's, it's, you're tired, it's at the end of the day and then you lose your temper with something and right. then the parents right. say, that's it. Yeah. Right. You're not getting that ice cream. You're not getting whatever it is. Oh, no, no, I'm good now. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. No, it's too late. Right. This it's is late. Uh, what just you like just that. said, you, you, Machavan, your words are exactly the words of our sages, that of course a person who, who genuinely repents, uh, but in this case, all of us, say the sages of Israel, see this exactly as you described, Jano, that the de- declaration was not so much mo- motivated by sincere remorse to fully grasping the weight and measure of their sin, but rather they were just shocked, and we can see that's the case, that they forfeited their chance to enter the land mm-hmm. of Israel, and this is yeah. what motivated, so this was not a, this was not a genuine repentance out of a recognition of their sin and iniquity, but rather this was a declaration because, oh my God, you mean I, I, I have to stay home and I can't, mm. I never get to see the land of Israel, and therefore mm. it was too late. But what happens yeah. next is that's that's what. So well, they go anyway, and they are driven yeah. far back by the Amalekites. Yeah, the- and uh, and here we are in in chapter fifteen. Now, chapter fifteen begins with, uh, in the interest of time, Tavia, begins with the grain and drink offerings. Is there anything you want to highlight? Well, just there, or the can important we- thing. I'll, I'll point out one point here because there's some very big things coming up here. But you see, people ask, why do we drink wine on Shabbos? We sanctify with wine. In fact, wine was a libation on the temple. Something very sacred that was poured on the on the temple that was. The wine was poured over, except on Sukkot, where water was used instead. We'll get into that another time when that comes up. But uh, okay. but uh, this is very. But we're going to come to a very very important point here about sin and atonement and what type of sins can can you use a sacrifice to atone for? This is it, and this is and this is this is this it. is from verse twenty two. Yes, if you sin unintentionally. Now I'm reading just a reminder. I'm reading from the New King James. So you just correct me when you need to. But it says, if you sin unintentionally and do not observe all these commandments which the Lord uh, has spoken to Moses, all that the Lord has commanded you by the hand of Moses from the day the Lord gave the commandment and onward throughout your generations, then it will be, if it is unintentionally committed, without the knowledge of the congregation, that the whole congregation shall offer one uh, young bull as a burnt offering, a sweet aroma to the Lord. It is uh, um, with its grain offering, its drink offering, according to the ordinance, and one kid of the goat as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for the whole congregation of the children of Israel. It shall be forgiven them, for it was unintentional. Right. It, you can bring a sacrifice because it was an unintentional sin. I mean, we, we, we've talked about this all the time. Yep. And this is the theme. If it's unintentional, you can bring a sacrifice. If, and then let's continue, if an individual, but... Yep. If an individual, if a person sins unintentionally, then he shall bring a female goat in its first year as a sin offering, so the priest shall make atonement for the person who sins unintentionally. And when he sins unintentionally before the Lord to make atonement for him... Uh, it shall be forgiven him. You shall have one law for him who sins unintentionally and for him who is native-born among the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwells among them. Right, and just a, uh, just a note, I don't want to spend a lot of time because we have a juicy passage coming up here. Mm-hmm. There is always, you're asking, why is a proselyte always raised up here in the text? Why would anyone even think 
that a ger, a proselyte, would have a different law? What would be the even thought? Well, you see that these sacrifices are very connected to the land of Israel, and therefore people might think that a proselyte, after all, does not have a plot of land assigned. A proselyte ultimately, their their children assimilate into the land to people of Israel and have a plot of land because they marry into another tribe. So therefore, the the care the the total. I'm just going to come in. The reason why this comes up here and over and over again is lest anyone think that if you have somebody who does not have a plot of land, that somehow they have different laws. No, they have the same law as them, even though they don't have a plot of land yet because they don't have a tribe. A proselyte doesn't have a tribe. If I remember correctly, I think that's the fourth time that's reiterated so far in the Torah. So verse 30, but the person who does anything, and I've got presumptuously, I want to stop there and explore that word. I, I believe in the Hebrew it means uh, to do something with a raised fist. Right, Is that that's fair? exactly right. It says, V'hanefesh, and the soul, Asher biyod rama, who acts biyod rama with a high hand. That's what mm-hmm. it says. I mean, someone who's acting with full knowledge, that's critical. And a high hand, you know, biyod rama means that they have all the knowledge, they have access to all the knowledge available and they act in, in rebellion, so then that person, no sacrifice is going to help you. And I want to just say this to everyone from Jews for Jesus, okay? I want to just speak to Chosen Many People Ministries. I want to speak to the Southern Baptist Convention just for a moment. I want to give mm-hmm. you guys advice, okay? Because you're spending millions of dollars to converting the Jews every year, and, and I know you're spending a lot of money and you're wasting it. All you really would need to do is, if you can find a passage, like right here, when the Bible says, and if someone uh, sins unintentionally, just if, if John 3.16 appeared here in Deuteronomy or Numbers, all the Jews, would, would, would we'd all be Christians, every one of us, okay? The reason is that there isn't a whiff or a sniff of human sacrifice. You got it? Mm-hmm. So I hope everyone in Jews for Jesus gets it, that the reason why we don't believe in Jesus is not we're against Jesus, we're biased, we don't want to accept Yeshua, we just accept the Tanakh, the Torah. And this is a guide, and that point should be made here. So if any of you at Chosen People Ministries wants to convert the Jews to Christianity, let me find s- just bit. find that, I assure you, if you find John 14, 6, Anywhere in the Torah, you will all, 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 line, up. all line up in front of the back. But if you can find it, then stand out of our way. And don't tell me that you had a cold and you prayed to Jesus for three weeks and your cold went away. <laughs> That's just not going to cut it, okay? So if you tell me, you know, you had syphilis and it took it away, I'm not interested. I'm interested in the Torah. I'm not interested in hearing in chapter that you had verse. hemorrhoids for six, for six weeks <laughs> and it went away. And I should believe in Jesus because you don't have to run to the bathroom for every time. Uh, they, I they need had a, a dream, better reason. They had a yeah, feeling like electricity, and then no, someone said something which was the don't same. Do and I don't want to hear that a guy in South. It's always. And by the way, I had a girl at the time. A guy, you know, in South Korea, someone resurrected from the dead. They told me this. So I said, "Really? It's always interesting. It happens in South Korea. Why can't it happen? <laughs> like why not here? Why is Mary always appearing in the Philippines and in Sao Paulo? Why does she appear in in, in I don't know in, in in New Zealand? No, she's appearing." People want to appear. This is it. If you Christians want to convert 
Jews, just find a verse from John, and if you could find it in the Torah, we'd line up to get baptized. No, no, that's it. That's it. So here it is, laid out for us, beautiful. Let's move on. This, so, so the person who does anything presumptuously, whether he's native-born or a stranger one, that one brings reproach on the Lord, and he shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord. He has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall be upon him. And I just, I just want to juxtapose. Everything is juxtaposed. You see that Hashem, even though presumably there were 17-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 18-year-old uh, boys who went along with this fear and said, oh, take us back to Egypt. But God didn't even allow them to be killed, only those who were old enough. So if Hashem takes everything into account, it means every possible thing to be account. But let's continue. Go ahead. So it says, now, while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on Shabbat. Mm. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him under guard because it had not been explained what should be done to him then. Right. Now, yeah, now, now what, just a point. They knew what should be done to him. That means they already knew that he's supposed to receive the death penalty, but they did not know how the death penalty should be carried out and the laws of death. I mean, here we have a situation, a stunning situation. He went and gathered wood publicly. I mean, if you're going to light a cigarette on Shabbos, like do it in your bathroom, like when you were 13. Though, but right. he collect, he makes a <laughs> right? If, I don't know what it is. I don't know where you were when you lit up your first joint. But you know, you didn't no, no. do it probably walking down. <laughs> stop laughing, Jonah. But you probably didn't do it walking down Broadway, right? This, no, so, no, no. so this is a very This guy goes out and he does a big uh, big public so thing. What, hey, no, but, but, but this but it, but it immediately follows the person who does anything rebelliously, presumptuously with a high fist. He's gone, I know it's Shabbat, I don't care, I need wood for whatever it is, my work that I'm doing, going to go and collect wood, doing it now, I don't care that you're all watching. This is a very odd event. So we have again m- misguided people who are trying, you know, one is let's go conquer the land of Israel, even though we're told we're not going in. I'm going to just make a, make a spectacle of myself to know people should keep shops because look what's going to happen to me. This is all, you know. That's no, crazy. Uh, so then the yeah. Lord said to Moses, the man must surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So the Lord commanded Moses and all the congregation brought him outside the camp, stoned him with stones, and he died. Now, that is that. Now we have this, this last little piece, uh, which is beautiful in our, in our uh, Torah portion. This is the way it ends. And it reminds me, you know, <laughs> I like this because this, it reminds me of uh, the time you and I first met in uh, Jerusalem. We stayed up till all hours talking in the foyer of the, of the hotel. In fact, we'll be going back to that hotel uh, on the tour this November. And you made a comment about my zitziot, and uh, because they had the tchelet, um, right, the, the blue, yes. and uh, and you you brought out yours as well, which also uh, had the blue in them. Yeah. And I, sh- I should say that it was a childhood friend of mine. We went to yeshiva together. Uh, mm-hmm. whose name is Baruch Sturman, who was the one responsible for discovering the the uh, this creature, this marine uh, snail, whose blood secretes this color. There's more to it. We're not going to go into it. But uh, this is, we really haven't had the Tchilat for roughly more than two and a half thousand years. And the Chilazun was discovered, and, and it takes about 60 of them to make one set of tzitzis. They, they're quite costly. But you'll see mm. here there is an Illusion to the fact that the Jews might not have the tzitzis in with the blue in all generations, and you'll see this mm. in an anomaly of this passage. 
So it says again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, tell them uh, to make, I've got tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generation and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. No, and you yeah, shall- Now there's an anomaly right there. The text is actually uh, uh, superficially not well structured. Mm-hmm. If the commandment was that you should put a blue thread on the on the tzitzis, add it to the other fringes, the way the text should have been structured is a little differently. It should have been said, say to them, they should they should make for them tzitzis on the corner of their garments, and they mm-hmm. should put a blue thread on it, and it should be with them for all generations. But you notice the text doesn't read that way. The text says that the tassels will be on the corner of the garments for all generations. Mm-hmm. But then it breaks, and then it goes, and you should put on the tzitzis a blue thread. The break is a completely, that's very strange. The, that, the dorosum for generation should be at the end. But in fact, we would not have the chilazim for all generations. I, God didn't speak to me in a dream, but it appears to me that our discovery of this creature at a time where it appears, I think, to most people of faith that we're living in the Messianic Age, is that God is setting everything up. But this is the tchelas, the blue thread that has been given back to us that we've discovered. Beautiful. And it says that you may look upon and the, it and remember it. Yes, the, yes. Because what, what, what is happening here is, I mean, again, the ju- what is this doing? My friends, whenever you're reading the Bible and you come to a passage and you're going, and chatter just appears out of nowhere, just stop and think. The Torah, what has happened up to now is people have been looking, looking at giants, looking at big people, looking at valleys, looking at things, and they, and it deceived them and led them astray. Their hearts became afraid. Their eyes deceived them. Mm. The Torah, therefore, the Torah says, look, you're no longer um, slaves of Egypt. You're now wearing the clothing, the garments of the servants of God. It, look at these mitzvahs. The word tzitzis, you know, each Hebrew letter has a numerical value. Uh, tzitzis is equals 600. And of course, it has eight strings and five knots of 613. But according to Jewish tradition, if a person is about to sin, a person is considering sin, a man in particular, that if you just take the tzitzis and stare at them, it'll stop your... Try it out. Seriously. I'm not, I don't wish that you should ever be enticed to sin, but if you ever are about to sin or you feel like you're about to do something that maybe God wouldn't want you to do, take your tzitzis and just look at them and see what happens to your desire to sin. Just meditate. Try it. Yeah. Try it. Give it I, I say test the Bible. It means it, I, I, don't, I don't really want you to be enticed. It's not a good thing. But I'm saying if you ever, find yourself in a situation... If you find yourself where you feel enticement, take out your tzitzis and stare at them and well, see yep. how good... You're going to be a really lousy sinner if you do that. That <laughs> means... And then... Uh, yeah. And it, 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 yeah, well, it says uh, it's to remember all the commandments of the Lord and to do them right. and uh, that and, you may and, not follow the harshness uh, That's what we just finished doing. You've been following your eyes and your heart. Your heart became afraid. Your eyes looked at the giants and got scared and that's what mm. leads you astray. This is juxtaposed against this monumental error where people mm. follow the fear of the heart and follow what they saw with their eyes, not bearing in mind that Hashem can conquer all of our enemies. Remember all the commandments of the Lord of God. Mm. And, and of course, it says, I am the Lord. I am the true God. I'm the Lord who took you out of Egypt. And therefore, of course, we're wearing now a new garment. That's the garment of the servant of God. You're no longer slaves. Ani Hashem I am the Lord your God. This is how it ends. 
and that's a beautiful way to end. Thank you so much, Rabbi Tobia Singer of OutreachJudaism.org, OutreachJudaism.org, where you can get a copy of Let's Get Biblical, Why Doesn't Judaism Accept the Christian Messiah, Volumes 1 and 2. You can get you can get it from Amazon as well. You can get it in a hard copy. You can get it in a paperback. But they're there, and I highly recommend them. Thank you, my friend, for coming back on Truth To You. I also have a new website out, Cost Nothing Free, Tobias Singer TV. People ask me, I want to be able to study videos. It's just hard to search all over YouTube. Hundreds of videos are available on tobiasinger.tv. Just one Tobiasinger.tv. Yeah. Oh, fabulous. Thank you for letting us know. Tobiasinger.tv, where all your videos are. Oh, well, that's, I feel like a kid in a candy shop now. That's great. That's wonderful. Thank you again, my friend. Until next time, dear listeners, be blessed. Be set apart by the truth of our Father's Word. Shalom. Hey, dear listeners, Jono here reminding you that we are returning to Israel with Rabbi Tobias Singer, and we want you to come with us this November. Go to truthtoyou.org and click on the Tanakh Tour of Israel and join us as we walk where judges, kings, priests, and prophets made history in the Holy Land. Seats are limited, so don't delay the Tanakh Tour of Israel this November on truthtoyou.org.